0: Welcome to Inside the Director's Circle and this episode on driving higher change success rates. I'm Jason Langford-Brown, your host, founder of the Director's Circle, practicing business advisor and coaching psychologist. This is the second part of our discussions on implementing successful change. And in our last episode, we explored why most change initiatives actually fail. And having explored that, today we're going to look at the levers you can pull to actually drive higher change success rates. To add some expertise to the subject, we are delighted to welcome back one of our knowledge partners from the Director's Circle, Dr. Chris Mason, founder and chairman of MindShop. Chris, after a successful career as a CEO and one of the world's most inspirational business advisors, Chris is now a Director in Behavioral and Organizational Psychology and has developed the world's only statistically proven model for change success. So some insights on that to come that are going to prove really powerful for you all. And just very quickly, before we get into the discussion, remember this is just a snapshot of what happens within our business leader community. So if you want to get more involved or access further insights, visit directors-circle.com and click join the community button. So Chris, we talked we talked last time about, you know, the notion of, of failure uh, in change, um, but today we really want to talk about how we can drive those higher chain success rates. And I know you've done some great work um, on this and i wonder if you could just start maybe I'll give us an overview of that and talking about what you think are the key levers for drying higher high change success
1: okay well i mentioned last time that there's an underlying or maybe overpinning uh, philosophy that if you want to change something you need to unfreeze it then change it then refreeze it in place and and a lot of people don't follow through on those stages and so it doesn't work for them but it was uh, around the time i was finishing my my doctorate that i I was looking for a project and I had a client that had failed uh, because um, the research shows that there's only about a 30% probability of success. And the trouble with that is if someone tries to change with 30% and they don't have the um, resilience to continue on with failures, you know, it, 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 they give up. They, they think it's them. They've got self-doubt. And in this case, he committed suicide, which was upsetting but upsetting in the sense that I thought, what could I have done to stop it? And when I looked into the um, data, it found that that 30% probability of success had been there since the 70s, and no no research should be done on it. And, of course, when you're doing a PhD, part of the requirement is you've got to come up with some original theory. So I thought, well, this is this is ideal. I, I, I meet my need, but I also fix a problem. And so what we did was we um, did... A, Quite a complex model i won't go into the details of it but it was it was two parts and we were able to triangulate the data but one of the parts was we had to interview 219 leaders and 21 change agents to find out what some of them were doing and ascertain if they were successful at change why and what were they doing and what we found was that they the really good ones um say in the uk uh, were 80% probability of success, so not 30 anymore, it was 80. And we found that was the same in America, different sort of organisation, same in Australia. And so those three regions, three continents basically, was important because of what we what they call, uh, we wanted to, the research to generalise at least to English-speaking countries to make sure it could work anywhere. And what we found instead of unfreezing change and then refreeze, we found three major factors that these exemplars were using. The first one was they were ready for change to start with, and there was five factors, which I'm sure we can go through, what those five factors you needed. They were ready, and we found that that was 30% of the reason they were successful. The second component was they had capability, more capability than anyone else. And we found through the structural equation modelling, the, the, the data bit, that they uh, 40% of the reason they were successful was due to their capability. That leaves 30%, and it was their belief systems. That's pretty soft, and, you know, how do you grab that? But we actually worked out there were three main beliefs that were affecting their success. So when you add up five factors for change readiness, two for capability, and three for beliefs, you've got 10 factors. And these firms, these people, were actually doing those 10 factors much better than anyone else. And as a result, they were getting an 80% Probability of success with whatever they wanted to do, and that's why they were so successful. Now they all tended to be bigger businesses, but uh, that's because they were successful. They'd grown and they'd been around for a while. But the, the second one, the, the American one, it was a seven thousand person privately owned business, and uh, it was just amazing what they were doing. And it was it was the son of the founder that was running it. His name's Steve, and Steve was just a naturally good leader. But if you'd ask Steve, why are you so successful? I know because I asked him, He, I have no idea. But I was able to tell him the 10 reasons why he was successful. And he found that very useful to have that confirmed. And we almost lock, could lock it in as procedures in the place that what he was doing intuitively, we could actually do uh, formally. But now we know what those 10 factors are. We can share that with anyone.
0: Yeah, and I would support that, Chris, as a practitioner of of your work. You know, I find that the model you've created off the back of your of your study is is you know really really uh, easy for people to digest with those ten factors, which I'm sure we will dig into in a second. Uh, a number yeah. of my clients are using it to great effect, so so thank you for that. But I think just going back to those three areas that that that's really interesting for me because I think a lot of what people talk about now in change is around the beliefs, the hearts, getting the hearts and minds of their people on side, if you want to use that language, to go forward with them. Um, but often, you know, people don't talk about being ready or even being capable. I think often it's the kind of, well, you know, we'll be ready when we get there and we'll just assume that people are capable and can do what we need them to do. Let's just win their hearts and minds. But you've always turned that on its head and said, look, you know, actually before you win the hearts and minds, you've got to make sure you're ready to go. Otherwise, you're likely to fail.
1: Yeah. There, I'll put a little twist on that. that let's say you've got okay. something really urgent and you haven't got time to sit there and get all these 10 factors right. What Mm -hmm. you could do is work out what your plan is. Let's say it's a sales plan and you you want to grow. You need to grow, for example.
0: Yeah.
1: Then work out your plan, but then we have a diagnostic that does it, which you've got. Um, Mm -hmm. Work out how well you're going against each of the 10 factors. Look where the biggest gaps are and reverse engineer it and build those extra features into your current plan. Now you've got a plan that if you implement it all at the same time. You should get an 80% probability of success. So you don't have to wait until you have got all these 10 pieces in, in place. You can put them in as you're going. So yeah. it's not as daunting as you would think. Um no, and, I agree. And, and most good firms are already doing some of these okay. So it's it's yeah. maybe just doing them better is what's needed to get jump from and, and and we're saying the average is 30%, but what if a probability of success? But what if you're already 50? All we're looking for is what do I have to tweak to get to eighty, so I, I don't have to use this trial and error approach. Like try it, oh it didn't work, try it again, it didn't work, try it again, oh it worked. That's too costly in both financial and human terms. Um, we we can get to eighty percent first first time if you add in the gaps, the plans for mitigating the gaps. So so I, look, yeah, I tell you about the readiness ones. Like they they when you hear them, they're quite obvious. The first one we found was that you needed you needed leadership support. Oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah, but you really do need leadership support. This has got to be driven <laughs> from the top. Uh, it can't be, yeah, yeah, it'll be fine. Yeah, we'll be, yeah. but then, then that leader reads another book in six months and, and loses focus. That's not so good. The second factor was there needs to be a belief in the need for change. So, if, for example, let's say you want to grow sales again. But the people actually think, well, we're not coping now because we can't get staff. We can't, we can't attract and retain people. We're losing people like anything. Why do we want more sales? It's going to make it worse. So that need for change isn't going to be there. So you need to address that. The third one, which I never saw coming, but when you think about it, it's quite logical, is the what's in it for me. So they have to see, the people in the firm need to see what benefit there is for them in whatever the change initiative is. So let's, let's stick to the sales concept. So if we're gonna grow, how are they gonna benefit? Well, it's obvious if you think about it, but are we explaining that to them? Fourth one is you need to be using the best available change process. Now we're biased, we think it's ours, but maybe for some businesses, some industries, uh, some, some technical aspects, there is someone better than us. So that's the one you should be using. And and the fifth one is you've got to have confidence, confidence in yourself, but more importantly, confidence in the organisation. So if you've seen the organisation attempt change in the past and it hasn't worked, well, you won't have confidence they'll be able to do it this time. So that needs to be addressed. So think about leadership support, need for change, what's in it for me, the change process and confidence. Where are your gaps? Well, we need a plan for anywhere where there is a gap. And in most organisations, there's work to do on all five.
0: Absolutely. Chris, I want to dig into a couple of those in a second and we'll we'll continue around the wheel after that as well. But I just on that what's in it for me, um, I, I'm, I'm curious to share a bit of a war story of my own here, which has happened on a couple of occasions where we've had some big change projects and we've really t- 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 tacked into that what's in it for me. But we've had some groups or individuals where we've really struggled as leaders to find anything that, Really was a, was a benefit to them. Um, now the most successful uh, outcome of that was where the leaders really fronted it out and actually got those people in a room individually from everyone else and actually said, "There's nothing in this for you, but we kind of need your help. Um, right. Would you would you support us with this?" And I, I thought that worked really really well. But I just wondered, you know, if you you know if that yeah. resonated with you, or if you had any other examples of where that's I've happened.
1: I've never I've never had that uh, because I think there is a default always what's in it right. for me is that quite often the employees actually love their, cl- their customers. Now, they can be internal or external customers. Some people only have internal yeah. customers, but everyone has a customer for what you do. And when I can't find an obvious what's in it for me, I play the customer card. So what I say is this is going to help you service your customer better, this pro- this process, this, this outcome. Um, so... Even in sales, you know, part of the sales process, we've got to better understand customer needs, customer expectations, customer performance. That's why we're doing it. So if you, if you, the pride of you doing a better job, is a what's in it for me as well. The yeah, fact absolutely. that you've got job security because we're growing, the fact you've got career opportunities because we're growing, they're all the what's in it for me. I've never found a problem uh, with finding that if you tie it back to the customer. It doesn't have to yeah. be a, what's in it for me personally. Like It doesn't have to be I'm going to get more money yeah. or I'm going yeah. to get promoted because not everyone wants to be promoted, particularly nowadays, uh, they might, but everyone wants to do a better job. They're spending so much of their time at work. They don't want to feel they've wasted their life where they've done for 30 years of 40 hours a week for nothing. No one wants that. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I think great, great advice is just look a bit, like you say, look a bit more creatively at where where it might be. And I think probably the other thing there for Chris, for me as well there, Chris, is that, again, I see leaders sort of putting everybody in one room and trying to sell one reason why it's good for them. But what we've probably got here is pockets of people within an organization, the what's in it for me is different. So probably requires a slightly more um, detailed approach to how you're going to get people's what's in it for me
1: yeah and when we get to the, the third part which is the belief system of people there are some factors in there that help you with that as well so it's not these these factors aren't necessarily standalone. they actually um, complement each other and and support each other as well so once we we do all 10 you want to see see how it fits how it fits yeah. so, now nah, those those five factors when you stop and think about it and and apply it for the last 10 years like i have um they're gold. They they just work every time. And you, and you think about it, you go, why didn't I think of that? Well, you didn't, but the research brought it out. All, all that structural equation modelling and the grounded theory just said these are the factors. You went, oh, my God, they are. So isn't that good that the, the, the research actually confirmed common sense?
0: And like you said, 10 years of practical application has, has reinforced that even further, which is which and is great to see.
1: I haven't had to change a thing either. I mean, it, it works. Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't wreck a good system.
0: Absolutely. Well, Chris, the big the big one was the capability. The, you know, yeah. forty the, percent of the score capability. So that that's interesting as well. So, what's going on there?
1: Well, it, it's, it's a common sense thing, isn't it? Like as as we get more capable, you know, there's, people don't understand the difference between knowledge and capability. Like I can give you knowledge, but it's only twenty percent of the journey. Until you apply it, it doesn't become capability. So I'm not. I've I've avoided the game of just giving people knowledge for the sake of it. Um, mm. I, I build in ways that they have to apply that, otherwise that capability will never come. But there's there's two pieces. that The people capability is easily understood. If we train, coach and develop our people and maybe even uh, move them on, recruit new ones, whatever, but if we get the people capability up, if we have a leadership problem, we can we can train the leaders we got, but we could also hire new ones. We could take people that are already known as guns in their industry, that we we will go and poach them because they're the best in our country. For example, we do, in some of the business I'm in, mean, we do that, and and because we're we're winning all the work, um, people are knocking on our door saying, "Have you got a job?" And we we'll put them on. We'll put them on early uh, to make sure that we get the best people. I reckon it's the organisation capability. Even though the scores came out the same, twenty percent each. That organisation capability. Is like how I d- describe that is, like, we know the organisation cap- is capable of locking the doors every night when they when they go home. We know they're capable mm-hmm. of paying people on time every 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 uh, every week or month, whatever they get paid. But what about their sales process? What about their attraction or retention? What about their financial management. You'll find that the organization capability starts to suffer when you dig into those areas. We do the obvious ones, but they seem to accept poor capability in some of the others, and they have no idea what to do about fixing those. So that's that whole capability of 40% is, if I can get the readiness right and I can get the beliefs right, but I don't have the capability I can't deliver. So that's why it's 40%. Now, I didn't make up the 40%. Now, there's some rounding in here. Like a, it might have been a real – car. I can't remember now, but it might have been 38.6, so we called it 40. Yeah. Because 30, 30, 40 made sense. But this is pretty accurate to what the numbers showed, that the exemplars – I keep bringing it back to these guys who already and girls that are already doing it right – that 40% of the reason that they were successful in change is of their capability. But they all did it different ways. The guys in the hospitality area were doing it different to the accountants, for example.
0: Yeah.
1: But that organisational capability, it's different for everyone, but you, that is the one that's challenging because people capability, we can work that out. You know whether you're capable or not. You have a view on that. Now, could you increase that? Of course you could and we should work on that. But what about, and let's not get into it on, on your business, but yeah, what could we do to make the organisation capability better? And I think sometimes we work so much on the personal capability, we ignore the need right. to make the organisation more capable. Now, the yeah. way we've done that in my shop is using technology because I know that technology works 365 days of the year, 24 hours a day. People don't. So if I've got a choice of where to invest, I'll invest in technology rather than the people because it's, it's the future. Like one day we'll be doing everything through avatars, and uh, virtual reality and augmented reality. I know that, but I don't have those things at the moment, but I'm ready for them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, really Chris, really
1: I uh, Better organizational capability once I get the technology.
0: Yeah, and listening to you there, Chris, I was just wondering, you know, because, you know, those organizations that are working on their organization and not just on the people. Um, I'm suspecting they've got it, you know, embracing continuous improvement, always looking to, you know, for ways to improve the business. Have you seen, either you know empirically or anecdotally a correlation between businesses that are good at continuous improvement and businesses that are driving successful change
1: well one of the businesses that I'm a director and and owner of and I've been a director there for a long long time um, every month at the board meetings as happened on Monday we get a list of, and this time it was like 35 projects with a traffic light next to them red yellow green and the, and. 90% of them had a green light next to them, and they're all the continuous improvement projects that are being worked on. Now, this, this company is 900 people, 420 mil in size, but they've got 30 or 40 continuous improvement projects going at any one time, and the board is monitoring them. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's I, cool. I've never yeah, seen absolutely. that before, but one of our colleagues, um, a shop guy you know well, he's driving that. That whole process in there and has been for the last 10, 15 years. And that's why it's yeah. there. But that's why when I joined the board, it was 150 mil heading towards 450, 500. Um, it's because of this work they've done on continuous improvement at, along with other things. And those 10 factors are in pretty good shape in that business.
0: Yeah, interesting. Why I, don't, there is a, I wonder, there's a, there is a, direct a lot correlation. of projects. Your, your question was, yeah. is there a direct collage? Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I thought I, I thought so, and my 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 own experience tells me that as well. And I suppose the challenge with the example you use there is that's a lot of projects, um, you know, which some people might might question. But I suspect they're they're not too big. They're they're digestible. They're manageable. They're not they're not trying to yeah. you know, they, bother, they, they, you know eat, right. eat the elephant in one go. Yeah,
1: they're they're termed agile projects for a reason. They're built okay. around Scrum yeah. walls and there's Scrum walls meetings every week, all that stuff, um, and you got to remember it's 900 people. So 30, 30 projects spread along 900 people is not a lot. Yeah. It's a reflection so of the organisation not yeah, it's it's appropriate.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and that's probably that's probably the point to take away from this Chris I think for the listeners is yeah, yeah the number versus the scale of your business and how many people you're carrying.
1: That's yeah, if you if, if you're a 10 person business listening, then a team of 3 is probably all you can cope with. So to go with yeah. that. It's better than what most people are doing. They don't have any teams at all doing continuous improvement. Yeah,
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Chris, again, conscious of time today, but we we ought to just try and wrap up by uh you know just touching on the belief side. There's I know there's three factors on your model around beliefs. Could you just touch on those briefly for us?
1: Yeah. The first one is the it's called perceived difficulty, which is if it's if the people think it's too hard, they kind of give up before they start. So you've got to have it so it's it's attainable. Uh, it still needs to be challenging, but it needs to be attainable. So you, you can't let it be too difficult. Now, I can do that easily by actually showing them they've got support, that we're behind it, so that's where these other factors come in. Also, you've got to have that attitude right. The th- second point is you've got to have the right attitude to the, the topic or the context. So, if, again, if it's sales and we're, we're not staffing the sales at the moment and we want to we grow by another 20%, people's attitude towards growth is not going to be good. So you need to address that. And and it might be just in your language. It might be in the announcements you make. It might be in your actions, but you need to address it. And the third one, I didn't see this one coming either, which we call it significant others. There's people in your organisation, and don't look into the org chart for, at the top for this. There are people in your, in your organisation who are significant in that organisation. They might have been there for 30 years. They may be experts. They may be highly regarded. They may be well-liked. I don't know what the reason is, but they're significant. If those significant others do not support this change initiative, you are dead. Well, you're not dead because it's only 10% of the overall thing, but it damages your ability to get that change success up to 80. You can't just give away 10% like that. You need to have a plan for how you're going to engage those significant others. Obvious ways get getting involved in the teams. Ask their opinion. Get them to speak publicly. Make them visible. Um, but there's things you need to do about significant others, so they're the ten factors.
0: Great, thanks, Chris. Any any examples, Chris? Because I think the you know, the belief stuff sometimes people struggle with more because it's it's the slightly softer skills. Any examples where you know, a client or any of your practitioners has kind of really tackled one of those in a in a quite clever or pragmatic way that you could share?
1: Just to, well, to I have. that I, section I, up. Everyone I'm thinking of is is too confidential. <laughs> but <was> really <laughs> to you, but let, let, let me do it another way i was in america which i am regularly as i know you are and uh i saw a full page ad for a a hotel that said we we don't uh, train our people to be nice we just hire nice people so if if you want people with the right attitude and the right belief systems just hire them that way in the in the first place and if you find anyone that's blocking and that was my war story i was going to tell you but i won't but i'll i'll give you the context like I know how to deal with blockers, and I challenge them, and they normally deny it. But then, if they can, if if they can get rid of me because I've challenged them, then I shouldn't be there. But if they can't, and they do nothing about me calling them out, I go to the boss and see if the boss will call them out or not. And I've often find that that person gets fired because they were blocking, and it's and it was a they were like a cancer in the organization, and you really need to deal with that. But on the other hand, you need to nurture the ones that are really for change, that are uh, an absolute asset to the organisation. You've got to find those and protect them as well. And so don't think I'm spending my whole life getting rid of the blockers. That's probably 2% of my time. 98% of my time is I'm finding the advocates and protecting them and supporting them and encouraging them. So the belief systems come from the person and their upbringing, not from the firm. People are either nice or they're not nice. They're either innovative or they're not innovative. So just make sure you, when you've got people in project teams, remember my third third, third rule I mentioned earlier, a third of the people are good. Just find those and start the change process with them.
0: Yeah, I think that circles back to where we were on the first episode, Chris, perfectly, where you said, you know, don't work on the hard ones, work on the good ones, and then get that tipping point and people will follow, which is a a nice way to to wrap this all together. I just wanted to, so thank you again, Chris, uh, for both these episodes. I just wanted to, I think, just touch on, so I, you said right at the beginning of this podcast around um, using those 10 levers in the diagnostic and working backwards. I just wanted to reinforce that point. If people want to get a hold of the diagnostic for the uh, change success model, you can reach out to us for that. But absolutely, Chris, we, we, that's exactly what we do. We go, okay, we've got an initiative in front of us. Let's do the diagnostics. Let's see where our gaps are before we even start. It gives you, gives you a more robust plan on what to focus on. And we, we actually do it uh, during projects as well, just to see how we're going and where the different gaps are now appearing. Um, so, I thought that, that was a great bit of advice that I wanted to, just to reinforce with people that, because everybody can access the diagnostic through our website uh, by reaching out to us um, and it is a really, really powerful and practical way to get started, as you said. So, as I said, thank you, Chris. Um, in the next episode, we've got a bit of a change of topic. We're going to turn our attention to leadership and we're going to be joined by former command officer Chris Carter, MBE, to get under the skin of this, I think probably often underestimated and complex subject. Um In the meantime, if you want more on this subject, um, as I said, reach out to one of our knowledge partners, Lucid, who are practitioners of Chris's work at lucid-group.com. I would highly recommend you uh, get yourself a copy of Chris's book on change success as well. Uh, Or as always, you can go on to directors-circle.com for more information. In the meantime, thank you for listening to Inside the Director's Circle.